Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this daily science fiction extravaganza, commonly known as Tales, Tales from Outer from space. Out, space. space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider supporting the channel. On to the science fiction. Story number one. New rules and guidelines from HR for working with humans. Written by Darren Adela. Dear employees, now that human personnel have been incorporated into our offices, several minor changes have been made to incorporate our newest sibling species. Employee resources have released the following rules and guidelines for dealing with the new co-workers in the office environment. Number 1. All employees must wear pants when entering a human's cubicle unless the human has already specified that their personal sensibilities do not require the wearing of pants. Number 2. Foodstuffs layered between bread is known as a sandwich. If you see them on a break room fridge, they belong to the humans. Do not eat them. You will invite a war that you cannot win. Number three. Humans are near universally addicted to energy-increasing drugs, the most common addictions being caffeine and sugar. Do not inform them of how terrible these things are for their health. They already know. They don't care. Number 4. When humans complain of not getting enough sleep because they were up too late partaking of some of the obscene human entertainment, do not inform them of how terrible that is for their health also. They already know. They don't care. No matter what you say, they will be complaining with the same thing again within a week. Number 5. The third floor northwestern corner has been outfitted with a traditional human shrine known as a uh, water cooler. Human spirituality involves tithing personal information while partaking in the shrine's sacred waters. Do not disturb if you see the ritual. Humans are non-exclusive in their service, and non-human staff are welcome to drink from the water cooler, but are warned that if they do so, will they be expected to tithe. Therefore, if you drink this water, expect to linger about for a little while answering invasive personal questions about the well-being of your family and what you did on the weekend and your opinion on the outcome of the big game last night. Number 6. Humans need a little nap around 3 in the afternoon. Our human informants ensure us that this is absolutely vital to the health and that if the office wishes to properly respect the rights of its human employees, it is proper to not disturb humans when they settle down upon taking this all-important nap, which can last from 15 minutes to whatever the length of your average staff meeting is. Number 7. Humans are a proud species and take their honor very seriously. A human whose honor is slighted will seek retribution from the form of a duel, a small-scale battle where right is determined by might. The nature of this battle is varied, and duels can take on form of a verbal art called slam poetry, physical combat with soft elongated flotation devices, or agility-based games using a ball and a low table, as well as many other forms. 
Every human slaps another with a removable hand covering with loudly insisting satisfaction. Expect the meeting room to be commandeered for such an event before the end of the day. Number 8. You will not offend a human Judas if you observe their jewel. They seem to prefer it. Number 9. You will not offend human Judas if you bet on their jewel, so long as you are not involved in the jewel. There will usually be a third human hanging about to take your bets. Number 10. Anything a human from the sublocation Australia tells you about the home is a lie, unless it's about the dangerous animal, in which case it is probably true, or a strange food, in which case it is definitely true. Number 11. Humans from the sublocation Canada do not feel cold. Humans from the sublocation Russia do not feel fear. Try not to be too startled by this. Number 12. At some point, a human will use deceit, possibly in the form of pretending to deliver important information or interesting news, to lure you into viewing a war song by the warrior, Heistley, in which they will inform you that he will never stop hunting you, nor will he release you. Do not be startled by this. Employee resources have investigated the matter, and uh, although the meaning of this action is still unclear, we are at least 70% certain that it does not constitute a direct threat and can be safely ignored. Number 13. Do not inform humans that they all look alike, sound alike, or that the differences between their various ideologies and religions, cultural and political systems, are so minuscule as to be negligible. They are still pretending that these differences are important and will not take kindly to your pointing out the obvious. Number 14. This pectoral swelling of approximately half the humans is not indicative of serious parasitic outbreak. These are not parastroid-induced bye-bye. Do not express concern or recommend a doctor. Do not run away screaming about contamination or deadly bye-bye. The human will not take kindly to this behavior, and what she will do to you will be worse than a serious parastroid infection. Number 15. Humans will anthropomorphize anything with even the smallest level of automation or complexity. They will name at their cars, gently coax their computers, and swear at the vending machines when they break. I saw a human walk into a pole and apologize to it once. This behavior is normal for the species and not a sign of advanced mental illness. Number 16. If you have fur and large eyes, a human will try and pet you at some point. You can just tell them to knock it off or submit a complaint to ER. Number 17. The humans already know that their singing is bad. If you tell them, it'll only encourage them. Number 18. All wheeled spinning chairs in a shared office spaces have been replaced in preparation for the arrival of humans. You'll understand why later. You'll thank us. End of story. Story number two. Belt with the Heart. Written by Joey Deline. The human was the focus of my earliest memories. She carried her softness on the outside, unusual in a terrestrial creature, and particularly unique amongst the slave races of the Empire. The master races tended to favor anthropods and gastropods like my own kind. In fact, we Tretums made up about 50% of all slaves in the Empire. 
We had many sensitive appendages for delicate work, and long, thick, rope-like, dense brain matter, which coiled neatly under our easily essential shells. Extremely useful as wetware for information storage, and I'm told it is also delicious with citrus. We bred easily, producing thousands of offspring each cycle, which were hardly could be separated from their parents while still in the egg, with no ill effects on this asking price. We were pliable and had no culture to speak of, no delusions of grandeur, no inklings of rebellion. Altogether, we were nothing like humans who, in fact, made rather useless slaves. We were a staple, and they were more of a garnish. They had proved impossible to breed in captivity, and had only four relatively useless appendages. Their brain matter was tiny and lodged inside a hollow lump of bone, along with many of their sensory organs, making it nearly useless as wetware. They didn't seem at all difficult to catch. In fact, they seemed almost to throw themselves at slaver's ships with abandon. But... The Empire had yet to find their home planet. It had to be quite far from the galactic core. So there were only a few hundred of them available at any one time. And other top families all clamored to obtain one whenever a new clutch was found. The rarity was really the only thing they had going for them as a commodity. That and their ability to sing. For a few generations, there was not a single dinner party nor gallery opening of note which did not have a human singer or even a choir attending. If the entity throwing the event couldn't provide their own human, they would rent one from the patron or a friend. It seemed every member of that species could make these beautiful vibrations in the air. My species did not have a sense called hearing, but could see the voices as a series of colorful waves, exploding like rays of sun from their mouths and throats. Some of the master races experienced it as a full-bodied thrumming, potentially so sensuous that certain humans were banned from appearing at a more decorous gatherings, lest they embarrass members of the nobility." Yes, humans had earned their place as some of the most valued slaves in the Empire, and our human had chosen she could have spent her life in luxury without ever encountering a single one of her fellow servants, or household structured so that the masters never had to see any of us, our entire existence regulated by machines, which, perhaps ironically, were powered by our own brains." We, Tratum, provided the wetware that powered the whole house and were wired into the grid in order to do so. So we spent our days stationary and alone. Of what little human husbandry was understood, what was known for certain was that they were the most definitely not solitary creatures. Few had been discovered without some kind of companion creature, from a variety of non-sentient species, cephalopod to mammalian. At first, the master races had attempted to remove or kill these superfluous creatures, but invariably, the humans concerned would quickly sicken and die, even a run away without them, so they were allowed to keep their pets with them, their dogs and cats and birds and octopi and they were allowed to mingle with other slaves. Not other humans, of course. The master races weren't stupid. 
No gatherings of any slave race were permitted, or not had been for generations, but they couldn't see the harm in letting the singers socialize with other species in their own households. The privilege wasn't granted to many. I had never met any other slave before I met our human, or at least I couldn't remember if I had. My very first memory is of her stroking my shell as I stood in my accustomed place under the main board, my brain tethered as always to the household machinery. It was an extraordinary feeling to be touched, pressure, and uh, somehow release all at once. I think she whispered to me then, but my mind was still buried in the house and I couldn't see her words. That memory ends with a piercing sorrow as her hand and the warmth of a mammalian body left me. I felt much more pain in my life since then, but the raw power of the first loss still strikes me when I recall it. As unusual as the encounter was for me, I don't believe I would have kept a true memory of it had she not returned the next day and the next All my time up until that point had been the same shapeless, tasteless mass before this. An endless mass of clay, grey and thick, and no discernible tang of difference. I realized later that she had shown infinite patience. She visited me, staying with me, carefully introducing color and spice and the lingering trail of time. One moment was like another. She shaped them into beads on a string. I don't know how long it took her before I finally followed the string into consciousness. I could not sing as she did, so she taught me language via her fingertips. My first word was water, one of the few consumables we held in common. She trickled it gently over my tentacles again and again until I realized... Until I put together the motion of her fingers and the cool shock of the liquid pouring over my skin. I had never had to ask for anything. There was nothing to want. Liquid nutrients were pumped directly into my stomach. My body, and more importantly, my brain matter, were maintained by constant gentle mechanical manipulations. I was not used for physical work so even moving my appendages with purpose was unfamiliar to me. Until her. As I said, I don't know how long it took, but it was many years, years in which I believe she was subjected to intense loneliness. I am grateful, however, that at least I and a few others in the household were finally talking to her before her dog passed away. She... I had named him after a food, one, she explained, that could string the senses into a strangely compelling way. He had licked my shell a few times and submitted to strokes from my tentacles. I assumed at first that he could also talk, and it was my fading that I did not understand him. But she explained to me that his sapience was not that extensive. Yet, she loved him. A creature that was no use to her except as a friend. And he loved her, as I did. I can't claim I really knew Pepper, but his passing taught me of grief. It taught me that the beads of my string were fragile, thus precious. She could have gone then, I think, but she stayed. 
She had tried to prepare me. I will perhaps never reach her highest intellect. I was born to run the vacuum cleaners and ovens of my master, and for the long, bland majority of my life, there was nothing else. But even in my banality, I could see that she wanted. I could feel the ridges of my shell. I had known it from the first time she brought me a poem written by another of my kind in the house. Simple words, composed with richness of emotion that I could never have imagined by myself. She brought me many, many words from others. Some from other species in the house, some from my own. She gave them my words in return. She built a network of stories and poems, a string of emotion and history between us. Like a necklace strung with her own glorious song, blinding us together. This, she told me, this taste of freedom, this, she whispered, is worth fighting for. Before she left, we had begun talking amongst ourselves, by ourselves, through the wiring of the house, like so many singing beads on a string. We even started reaching out to other houses, other regions, all around the empire. Some had their own humans that were waiting for us. Others were still blind. It took time. It took patience. Languages shifted, blended together, began to hum in a harmony invisible to the master races. Exponentially, my world grew until I could see everywhere. Still, I don't know how she got out. I don't know how any of the humans got out. Over the course of a few weeks, every human in the Empire just vanished. The slaves, of course, knew before the master races figured it out. Word travels fast amongst the strings that tie us together. I think now that she is never really a slave. She stayed for us. Perhaps she was only here in the first place because we were here. And we needed her. I think now that maybe I'll speak to her again, my dear friend, the human. When all of this is over, I hope that we'll have much to say to each other. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode, and I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.